0: This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps towards God's possible in your life. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, this message today is going to be all about what I think is a fundamental practice of New Testament believers, and you'll find it throughout the entirety of of the book of Acts, and you'll see it later on, of course, as well, but this two verses here are going to really embed this truth that I want to, I kinda wanna lock in on, that all of us need in our story, no matter if we're new to faith or we've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Verse 19, the message is being preached. It says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. This message is found throughout the entirety of the New Testament, wherever the gospel went. As the story spread from Jerusalem around the world, and it reached many different people groups, many different background people, people of different religions, no religion, people that were in the Roman government and the army, people that were part of the Jewish faith, all kinds of people. Everyone heard the same message, and they were called to repent. Everybody said repent. Repentance is a change of mind leading to a change of action. It's not just seeing that you need to change, but it's, it's belief or a change of mind that leads to movement or actions. And by the way, repentance is not a bad word. Perhaps you've grown up in a background of faith or heard other people talk about repent, and all you can visualize is somebody pointing their finger at you and saying, repent. And it's got this kind of horrible feel to it as if you need to confess that you're an awful, wicked, no good person in order to repent. Now there are parts of that that we need to recognize who we really are. How many of you know, we were born into sin? And we, we, we do have wickedness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. And yes, we all need a savior. But you don't need to think of yourself through the eyes of shame in order to receive the word of repentance. Okay? Repentance is not a bad term. It's turning and following Jesus. It's saying yes to Jesus. Romans 2, 4 talks about why we would repent. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So it's his kindness, the natural response to kindness is to repent. And we see many people respond to the message throughout the book of Acts. Thousands of people in Acts 2 and 3 is coming into the kingdom of God and they are saying yes to Jesus and moving away from whatever their life was like before. Saul, who was a terrorist, To Christians. He was literally murdering people, setting bombs off, if you will, seeing Christians killed everywhere. God intervenes, Jesus does, and and there's a, a, on the road to Damascus, Jesus does a turnaround story in Saul's life, and he becomes the Apostle Paul, of which wrote so many epistles in the New Testament. And he received that word. You don't have to be a bad person or a good person. We're all the same. We've all sinned. But his kindness turned them around. Gentiles and Roman soldiers and cult leaders and women and men. New creations are born. They pop up everywhere. People are brought into the family. 2 Corinthians 5 This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. So repentance is something that is good, not bad. It's saying yes to Jesus, okay? How many know we have a lot of things that get our yes? We have a lot of things that get our yes on a daily basis. Repentance is turning from one yes and giving it to somebody else. It's taking what's in your pocket and giving it to a different vendor, if you will. It's saying, I am now following a new direction. In Acts, that's what it says. But then it says, then times of refreshment. Times of refreshment follow repentance. Our decision to turn and follow a new leader results in refreshment. Repentance opens the door to more opportunities to follow the Spirit. Do you remember that refreshing feeling of having your sins forgiven, having your court case dismissed, having an adoption notice given to you that you now have a family? Well friends, I want you to know, just like on the web browser, To get an updated view, a refresh button, if you will, the refresh button in our life, whether you're a new believer or you've been walking with the Lord for 30 years, is repentance. It's turning and reconnecting to the updated kingdom of God. In Acts, the Spirit perpetually led people toward changes that required a positive repentance. What they were doing wasn't bad necessarily. The leaders as they lived their lives, they weren't living in deep sin necessarily, but God intended them to go this way and they were on a pathway to go that way. So it required an adjustment of the person. How many know sometimes God wants you to go this way but you are so stubborn that you wanna go this way? And it means that you have to repent. You have to change your mind and turn to follow Jesus to follow him, to go in a different direction. And what they were doing wasn't bad necessarily, but they had to adjust their course. I want you to hear me. We are like the New Testament church. We need the spirit to nudge us. And when he does, we have a responsibility to make an adjustment. Confession speaks the truth about who you are or what you've done. But repentance goes beyond confession and says yes to a different direction. Too many people have grown up in religious circles where they make their confession, but you can't stop there. Because if all you do is confess, you're not being refreshed yet. It's when you turn and go a new direction that the refreshment comes. Some of us have confessed and then we felt guilty, and then we didn't change. And because we didn't change, and we didn't follow the nudge of the Spirit, we feel crummy. And then we want to point our finger back at the church. The church makes me feel bad. The church throws shame and guilt on me. The church is no the church—so there are some people in the church that are bad, and they do throw shade, okay? I'm not saying there aren't. How many know this—there's there, a— A lot of hypocrites in the church world, and there's room for more. Come on. There's room for more. You come in. Church, you know what you're missing out on? All you got was the the humbling, dark, self-realization moment that was something wrong with you, or you're not going in the right direction, or maybe there needs to be a change, and you feel uncomfortable, and if you confess it, that's great. Jesus does forgive us of our sins. He does cleanse us from all righteousness, but we have yet to be refreshed because we haven't Turned and gone in a new direction. And the next day when we revisit it, it's like a dog returning to its vomit, we miss out on the refreshment from heaven because we haven't changed our ways. <laughs> to go into the brave new world, you have to listen to the nudge of the spirit. I say this to every believer, no matter what season or stage of life that you're in, I guarantee you there is no expiration date on the validity of scripture for your life. Just cause you're in your 80s doesn't mean the spirit is done nudging you. Come on somebody, I got many people in their 80s, I got a few 90s in the church. And just cause you're a teenager doesn't mean the spirit doesn't wanna nudge you. Come on somebody. I want you to look at how Jesus kinda preps his disciples for what it's like to follow the nudge. In Matthew 16, turn there, in Matthew 16, Jesus pulls away from the crowd and he speaks to his disciples, the ones that were following him. And by the way, my dream as a pastor is that every one of us move beyond belief to followership, to truly following Jesus and discovering the regular refreshment that's available through the Spirit. And Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 24. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You must give up your own way, or other versions say deny yourself, or you must turn away from whatever path it is that you've been on. And this becomes critical in the life of a disciple that's gonna hear the spirit. Listen. It means you literally do need to turn away or deny your own appetites, your own desires. It's yielding your right to be right. I know that person sitting next to you thinks they're always right. (laughs) Never you, right? But let's be honest. We want our own way. I want it this way. I want my steak medium well. You give it to me rare and I am ticked. You give it to me burnt and I'm even worse ticked. I want it just right, you know. And we're used to things being done our way. You're supposed to not drive slow in the left lane. For real, what's wrong with you? You know? Come on, man. And we have patterns that we kind of identify, you know, that's just the way I am. And we kind of settle in as if that's somehow like written in creation. That we have to remain that way. That God made us this way, so we have to stay that way. But the repentance word intervenes the selfish nature. Uh, When I was, uh, back in 2003, was when uh, Jody and I heard the whisper from heaven that we were to go work at North Central University. And uh, it was a three-day period of time where uh, I, I received a call from Dr. Gordon Anderson, the president at the time. He called me and he said, Nate, I'd like you to consider coming working with me at North Central <laughs> University. And uh, it's kind of close to his voice, but not exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and when he called me, I said, no way. I'm a youth pastor at Emmanuel. Things are going great. I had a lot of freedom. We had a bunch of assistant youth pastors. Our youth group was affecting more than just even our own city was on TV. And we were doing a lot of things. And you want me to come and go teach? And uh, and I said, "I I don't know, Dr. Anderson. He said, would you at least pray about it? I mean, you know, when there's like a, a person of God that's, that's your mentor, you're like, okay, I'll at least pray about it. So I hung up the phone, told Jody, I said, Jody, I think that God wants us to go to North Central. And she said, you're not going to do that, are you? I said, Nah. <laughs> but then I went back to, we were working on our house at the time. I was working on a project in the basement. And I just, I started getting that weird feeling inside, the nudge. You guys know what I am talking about? And as I'm hearing and feeling the nudge, I'm like, oh, shoot. And the next day, Saturday, <laughs> Jody comes up to me and she says, I think you should think about it. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> so even then, I, I went through a series of mentors and leaders and I prayed and I thought, but I resigned on Tuesday. First call on Friday. Resignation on Tuesday because I heard God. I didn't even have a job description. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just heard God. Okay, and then we went, and it was hard. It was difficult. It was really difficult to talk to Pastor Denies, and it was difficult to let let my team know that. I mean, there were other things that came after that, but I needed to lean in and listen to the Spirit. Fast forward. I'm uh, I'm at the school and and i 'm i 'm a full time grad student at Bethel University here in town getting a master 's in organizational leadership and i 'm doing classes and reading i 'm a football coach for my kids and so i 'm running practices every night and then i 'm traveling and speaking in youth conventions and around the country as part, part of my new responsibility and so I am blowing and going, but I had continued a habit I would had all the way for about seven years previous to that, and that was I was sleeping about three to four hours a night. And the way I crammed everything into my life was by, by burning the candle at both ends. What i do is I would spend my time uh, uh, with family. Everybody got 100%, and I prided myself that I didn't need much sleep. And uh, that kind of kept moving, 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 and then about January, I, I moved in the new role in 2013 in, in April, and then in January of 2014, I was on a trip out to preach for a youth camp in Michigan, went to Applebee's for lunch after getting off the plane, and then went into Walmart, and I, I recall going into Walmart, and then I had a grand mal seizure right in the media section there. I mean, I'm talking full-blown, on the ground, everything. About bit through my tongue, I was unconscious. Uh, Bruises all over me, the ambulance came and they took me to the hospital. And uh, I started coming to in the emergency room and while I was coming to, um, somebody got my wife on the phone and she gave me instructions about how to handle insurance. (laughs) <laughs> right out of the gate and uh, you're out of network, be careful you know uh, a pastor came in and was like telling me how to handle things and, um, and I, I just really didn't understand what was going on but my very first thought was my new job is killing me I exported responsibility to the job so I was in pain something had just happened to me but even then it wasn't my fault you hear me And I I heard the Lord nudge me, speak to my heart. No one else is responsible for your schedule but you. You will stand alone before me someday. It was like, throw me against the wall, right? But I heard the nudge. I went through two weeks of testing. I wasn't allowed to drive until they figured out and I went into the neurologist and the neurologist said, listen, there's no, nothing on your brain scans, there's no uh, reason we can come up with other than you've had a prolonged period of lack of sleep and stress. And it's like the banks of the river, stress and lack of sleep have lowered the banks until eventually the river spills over. And I discovered at that time, the, the neurologist said this, for the rest of your life, you need to have a minimum of seven hours of sleep. And you need to learn to manage your stress. When she said seven hours of sleep, I literally said out loud, my wife is my witness, that much? (laughs) Because I was so sick in my own direction that I had run everything to the edges and I needed to learn to repent. To repent for me meant I needed to actually do what was being nudged into me. I actually had to start sleeping seven hours a night. It meant I didn't get everything else done that I once thought I should get done. But I have to tell you, once I started doing that, I got more done than I did before. When I slowed down and let the Sabbath of the Lord come into my soul, I experienced refreshment because I was now following the nudge of the Spirit. Friends, I want you to hear me. When he says you must give up your own way or deny yourself, you have the responsibility yourself. You can't blame your spouse. You can't blame your job. You can't blame your circumstances. You have to deny yourself if you're gonna repent and receive the refreshment that Jesus has for you. And then he says take up your cross. He said to his disciples, deny yourself and take up your cross. Not somebody else's. It's interesting. Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he doesn't say, you need to take up my cross. How many know Jesus alone could take up the cross he took up? He looks at his disciples and says, you're going to have a cross to bear, and only you experience the pain of that cross. If you compare yourself to anybody else, you'll miss the moment. Well, I have to carry more than she does. Jesus doesn't care about that. He says you pick up your cross, your unique challenge, the thing that you're facing, your season of life. Yes, it's difficult when we have little kids in the house, and there's no sleep. You're like, Pastor Nate, I would sleep seven hours a night if my kids would let me, right? Right? And we can get into those excuse modes where we we begin to deny ourselves or we don't pick up and embrace the cross that God has placed. I don't know how else to say this in a short way other than to say whatever season of life you're in, stop whining about it. Your whining doesn't change anything. And it's not helping your relationships either because nobody likes to be around a whiner. You drain the batteries of everybody else, and what you need to do is deny yourself and pick up your cross and go, I thank God I'm in this season that you've called me to. And then he says, and follow me. Follow me. Follow. Everybody say follow. Follow. Follow means we are not lost. You don't need to be disoriented when you're following Jesus. You don't need to be confused when you're following. You don't have all the answers, but if you're following Jesus, how many know he's a pretty reliable one to follow? It's when we begin to follow other things that we get confused. We forget who we are, what path we're on. Our responsibility is to follow him. Jesus said, I'll send another counselor that you must follow. He told his disciples Listen, you're following me, but I'm gonna be gone. You need to now learn to give your yes to the Spirit. You need to follow the Spirit because the Spirit will lead you where you need to go. And a Spirit-following life, or a Spirit-filled life, has a few things wrapped up in it. First of all, if you're gonna follow the Spirit, you need to have daily repentance. What is the Spirit nudging me to do now that I didn't before? With food, perhaps. Come on, somebody. What about with friendships? What about with our time? What about our attitudes? Our money? Our priorities? Who or what is getting my yes today? Repentance is saying, I'm staying on a pathway to follow you, and Lord, you have to the permission from me to nudge me wherever you want me to go. I'm not gonna embrace the destination and the things I love so strongly and the patterns I love so strongly that I'm going to deny you. I'm going to deny myself whatever you want, Lord. And to follow the nudge of the Spirit. You know what New Testament believers did? They did crazy things not in church. Most of the stuff that we read about in the book of Acts is out in the streets. It's in windows, and it's in the pathway of life. They literally lived to hear the nudge along the way. They may have had a job, and on the way to their job, the Spirit would nudge them to notice somebody that may need healing, might need compassion, might need love. And they learned to listen for the nuts. That was daily repentance, friends. It wasn't just entrance into the kingdom to get saved. It was a daily belief that the keys that the door swung on was repentance. So they lived in a soft and a pliable attitude and kind of a, a state of being to be ready to go where God wanted them to go when He wanted them to go, and they He would get there. Yes. Secondly, a spirit-following life trusts that he's got this. See, one of the things that happens, I discover that is, when I, when I don't trust, it's because I'm not sure what's going to happen. For the New Testament church, they were going to lose their life, perhaps their friendships, but they had a greater belief that was above the storm of their job, and the bills, family conflicts that they might have been in. And that was that God had control of their life and that the one who started them on the journey was faithful to complete it. If you find yourself making insecure actions, check yourself and go back to, wait a second, who owns my life? Because if he owns my life, I need to learn to let go in the middle of this. Faith is found in the gap between where you are and where the Spirit is nudging you to go. Faith is the gap. Spirit's nudging you. I'm not sure. I don't know how this will work out. Faith is stepping into it knowing that he's got this. Third, receiving the power to live the new life. The Spirit following life. Receives the power to live that new life. In other words, they don't just operate on their own strength, they rely on the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. That's the Holy Spirit produces. Come on, somebody. That's what I want in my life. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I want to follow the Spirit in every part of my life, not just Sunday morning. He has something to say and lead us into love and joy and peace with that family member that you're having a fight with consistently. Your answer isn't coming up with a bigger argument of why the other person is wrong. You know what your answer is? Lean into the spirit and let him produce the kind of kindness in you that you needed to to lead you to repentance one day. Every season of life requires the ability to stop, to listen to the nudge of the Spirit, and to adjust. It may mean going in a different direction than you expected, leaving old things behind and chasing the new. But here's the biggest, ooh, amazing part of this. The times of refreshment follow repentance. Times of refreshment follow repentance. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel today. For more messages, visit emmanuelcc.org.